Welcome back to Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined, as always, by Colin Haas Hill on a glorious June day here as uh, summer officially starting here on uh, this Monday where we're actually recording uh, this Wednesday podcast as we uh, continue to roll through the June recruiting period and uh, plenty of you know news continuing to unfold here as Ohio State uh, looks to potentially add a few more players to its roster for the upcoming season. And that's uh, where we're going to spend most of our focus today. And we're going to start out with, and I, I have it written down here of a pronunciation to, to try to say this name right, because I know I butchered it the last time we talked about it on Real Pod Wednesdays. And that is Palaie Nayoteote, the linebacker from USC, who, as of the time we're recording, his transfer to Ohio State has not been officially announced, but he is in Ohio State's student directory. It certainly appears as though he is about to transfer to Ohio State and that he is going to join the Buckeyes this fall. And we had obviously done a podcast a, a while back about Henry To'oto'o choosing Alabama, and he looked like he was going to be the top target at linebacker. And at the time... I had said I, I didn't think Ohio State was going to go out and get a different linebacker, but at the time, it also looked like Paula E.A. Nayoteote was going to transfer to Texas. Now, him coming to Ohio State instead, this is a guy who Ohio State recruited out of high school, a guy who was a five-star recruit who's played a good amount at USC, at the same time, he's also battled injuries for the last couple of years. He's only played in 10 games the last two years. And I think if you talk to people from USC, this isn't a guy who necessarily has played like a five-star recruit yet in his college career. So I think it's an interesting addition. I could certainly see why Ohio State is going this route and adding Nayoteote, but... I also don't view this as a Justin Fields kind of move here, even a Jonah Jackson kind of move here. I don't, I, I think this is a move that I look at and I say, Palia Nayateote could be an upgrade at linebacker, but I'm not necessarily certain that he is yet. As you've been talking, I've been partially paying attention and partially just reciting his name <laughs> in my head, just waiting for the moment where I'm going to have to say Palia Nayateote. How was that? That was, I feel like that was pretty good. A, that was, that that was, was an solid. A minus right there. That was yeah. solid. I, I, you know, in the in the half of what I heard as I was reciting, you know, <laughs> I think I I think I agree with it. I, it's an interesting addition because to me, he's not a lot different than the kind of the 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 way I view him is on a, not a lot different than the way I view a lot of guys on the roster, which is that I think he's got some potential to be pretty good. But we don't, we haven't really seen that yet. And I feel like I can say that about basically every single other linebacker on this roster, whether it's Taraja Mitchell, whether it's Cody Simon, whether it's Dallas Gant, uh, whether it's Tommy Eichenberg, whether it's Kayvon Pope, whether it's Craig Young, who's now a now a bullet. I feel like I can say that about just about everybody. And if you have open scholarships, like to me, I think this is, I think this is sort of 
I don't know that it's an admission that that linebacker is a concern or if it's an admission that you just don't feel comfortable with the guys who you have. And if you have an open scholarship, I, I think it's perfectly fine to go out and get a guy like this who is essentially just another lottery ticket almost. Like I feel like I feel like if you have enough of these guys who are on the cusp of, of um, being productive players, you have to feel like the numbers game is going to work out in your favor. And I think that maybe that's what Ohio state's doing here. Also, you know, obviously they have a, they have a built-in relationship for, for, with him dating back to high school. Like a lot of the guys in Ohio state's facility have known him for, for many, many years. And I think that that probably also helped, helped with, uh, with landing him and evaluating him. And worth noting on that point, he's actually a cousin of Haskell Garrett. So yep. he's got, uh, you know, a close relationship with one of Ohio state's, uh, star players, and I think that certainly played a part in uh, facilitating this move for Ohio State. But, you know, I agree with everything you said. I, th- I think it's a logical move for Ohio State because, I mean, you're talking about Ohio State does not return a single linebacker who started a game for Ohio State. It loses its top four linebackers from last season. So to bring in somebody who has started games at the Power 5 level, who has five-star talent, I mean, to bring in a guy like that, There's absolutely a lot of potential upside to it, but I do think we should temper expectations here. I I don't think, you know, expecting him to come in and be an all American this year. I mean, it's possible, but I think if you, if you just look at his USC career to date, he, he, he's going to have to make a big step. Al Washington's going to have to get more out of him for him to be that level of player. And now I think what really interests me is just how are all the pieces going to fit together in this room between him and the guys who are already on the roster? Because you know, you look at it, it looks like this defense is going to move toward mostly playing only two traditional linebackers this year. So now all of a sudden that room gets pretty crowded where you've really got eight guys fighting for two spots here. And those being Nioteote, Taraja Mitchell, Dallas Gantt, Cody Simon, Kayvon Pope, Tommy Eichenberg, Reed Carrico, Mitchell Melton. You know, that's a lot of guys there. And I'm going to be interested to see how they play this out. I mean, we've seen in recent years, for all the talk there is about rotations at that position, Ohio State has tended not to rotate a ton at linebacker. They've tended to kind of stick with a core group of three or four guys. So I'm going to be interested to see how that plays out there. You know, I mean, if I'm going to guess right now, I would guess that the starting inside linebackers for Ohio State this season are going to be Palaie Nayoteote and Taraja Mitchell. Will Dallas Gantt also be in a rotation? Will Cody Simon also be in a rotation? Those are the two guys that I look at and I think like, you know, Dallas Gantt's a guy that I think we all had penciled in as a starter before this. Cody Simon's a guy who I think is making a real move toward pushing for playing time. So if they were to, you know, maybe those four guys all rotate and none of them being that, every down, every series kind of staple that wouldn't shock me, but I'm interested to see how it plays out. Yeah. To me, to me adding, you, you know, I can say EA, right. You said, yeah. you, you told me off air that, all right, say, say this. Cause I feel like this will help people who want to talk about him and want to be able to pronounce his name without having to look up the pronunciation guide every time. What do, what do people at USC call him, Dan? Yeah. So I guess I know that he has been called EA at USC. Uh, you know, I've seen it spelled I E and E A, but if you're looking for an easy way to reference him without trying to say all those syllables, EA works. 
All right. That's actually helpful. The way that I view this too is, you know, I think that he raises the floor of what I think is the most troubling, most concerning position group on the defense. And I might argue on the team. Um, I look at tight end and maybe I would say that um, just behind Jeremy Ruckert. Uh, but, I, but I think I would probably go back to linebacker. So I think that that's, that's where I view it is, is that I think it's helpful for Ohio state not to exactly know um who their linebacker is going to be right now. Because I don't – like, as as much as I think that Dallas Gant impressed me in his limited opportunities the past two years, like, I do think there's something to be said about they just haven't really seen him on the big stage yet. And, obviously, you never know exactly what you're going to get when when somebody takes that next step. So I think that having him there is, is helpful. Um, what do you think he does best? Because I think that the, the the way that Al Washington has talked about linebackers in the past and the way that he's used them isn't exactly um, the same. Like he talked a lot last year about, you know, wanting to use guys situationally. And I don't really think that we saw that. I think that we saw, you know, we saw basically four linebackers play exactly when you would imagine those four linebackers played. Um, and I guess the situational usage was tough. Portland wasn't on the field for passing downs. And that was about as situational as Ohio state got. I do wonder though, if they might be a little bit more situational with less experience. So when you look at, when you look at EA, Dan, what is, what does he do best? Yeah. Well, if you look at his USC bio, it, it says quote, but he is known for his high impact tackles. And I think uh, that, I think that's a good description. Just watching, you know, his highlight films, but you know, he's a guy, he, he hits hard. You know, he, he's a thumper. He's a guy that I think is going to be able to make plays around the line of scrimmage, I think is, is going to be able to make plays against the run. My big question mark with him is how good is he going to be in coverage? Because that, if, if you, you read what USC people have written about him, that's kind of been the rub on him is that uh, he, he's not great against the pass. And so I think to me, when I kind of looked at this linebacker group, to me, that was the biggest question mark with the guys that were already on the roster. Like I think Taraja Mitchell's a thumper who's going to make high impact tackles too, but I don't know if he can cover. And so, you know, bringing in EA, I think, you know, it definitely adds experience. It, I think it definitely adds a guy who can be a playmaker in the box, but whether it will, you know, I don't think EA is coming in to replace Pete Warner. I don't think he's got that kind of skill set. I think if anything, to me, and I don't know if this is what Ohio State fans want to hear, but you know, he maybe he's a more athletic, tough Borland. I think there's some maybe some Baron Browning here too, and I and I say that in the sense of I think this is a guy that's got a lot of really intriguing physical tools, but is going into his fourth year of college football having not exactly played up to them. So I I, I kind of make the Baron Browning comparison. In that sense, I don't know if it play styles are necessarily the same, but I think in terms of being that guy who, you know, he was the superstar recruit coming out of high school, but he's getting into the back end of his college career and hasn't quite lived up to that yet. So I think there's going to be a lot of coaching here that needs to be done by Al Washington over these next couple months to, to really try to harness that potential and make him into the player he's going to be. And I think, you know, it just adds to what we already knew with this roster of it, you know, this year is going to be the real test in my opinion of what kind of coach Al Washington is. We know Al Washington can recruit, 
But I think this year is going to be a huge test for him in many ways, both in terms of, you know, player development, in terms of setting a depth chart and getting the best players on the field. I think this year we're going to learn a lot about who Al Washington is as a coach and if he really is an elite linebackers coach in terms of on-field coaching. Yeah, when I when I when I think about an EA Taraja Mitchell sort of duo at inside linebacker, which is who I think if we're sitting here today and provided this transfer actually happens, we don't look like uh, morons. <laughs> then I, 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 my, my question would be the same as yours. Like how exactly will they cover? Um, because I do think, you know, that's, that's going to be the, the question mark for EA coming on, coming in. And that's also, you know, my question mark uh, for, for Taraja Mitchell and what it sort of always has been. And that's where I do wonder if situationally we might see a little bit of Dallas Gant in there and passing downs and, and, and the same for Cody Simon. And also, like to me, this is, um, you know, this is another uh, example of one of the reasons why I think that the bullet makes sense this year. Um, because if you're going to bring in another linebacker who I think the question mark might be a little bit with his coverage, but who will probably be able to help out a great deal in the run game. Like to me, to me, this is another example of why I think the bullet can work this year. And this is one of those things where it's like, uh, we're going to bring up the bullet again for the 50th time, assuming that the bullet exists and praying that all these episodes don't go down in history. As I was talking about a position that doesn't exist another year. So it sounds like you would agree with me. My feeling is I don't think this move is really going to change much in terms of the bullet. Like I think it's possible bringing in another veteran linebacker allows them to go back to doing more free linebacker stuff. But my guess, I don't know this. This is just a guess is I still think this is going to be mainly a two linebacker defense with, you know, you can characterize the bullet as a linebacker or safety, however you want to do it. But I still think, I don't think this, I don't, you know, I, I think there were some people who kind of thought the bullet this spring was kind of a temporary thing because they were shorthanded at linebacker. I really don't think that's the case. I, I think the bullet is a strategic change, realizing they need to get more athletes, more weapons and coverage on the field. And like I said, I think if you look at Nayo Teote's game, I don't think he's a Pete Warner type who can, you know, be that, you know, great coverage linebacker. And I just don't know if they have that guy on the team. So I think, you know, that's a lot of where the bullet comes in. And I don't think this necessarily has any effect on that. I think this is more just about giving them more options, more depth, more experience at inside linebacker. Yeah. I'm there with you. And also like Ohio state has shown in certain instances in a game, like they'd like to be able to go with four linebackers. And if you were looking at this team, like what if you're playing a Wisconsin, uh, or whatever version of Wisconsin they were going to play. I don't know if Wisconsin's the greatest example this year, considering Grand Mertz is on the team, and it's not like they have uh, an incompetent quarterback, but a team that you would expect to run the ball 75% of the time where you want to have the ability to rotate four or five linebackers. Like, to me, this is this is why you add a guy like EA. Um, I would be... I would be pretty surprised if, if if they went away from having the the Craig Young, Ronnie Hickman, Court Williams position just because of, of, of adding EA. I just think that if you're Ohio State, you would just want to have a number of options and a lot of depth at a position where there's not a lot of experience. I think it just comes down to that. Who, if, if you were to pick, who do you think will play the most snaps at linebacker this year? Who do you think will have the most tackles at linebacker this year? And is that the same guy? 
Yeah, I think it's real. I think it's really hard. Um, obviously, you don't want to play the injuries game, but but I, EA has to come in healthy, and and you want to get a full healthy season out of him because USC didn't get that last year. Um, I think that the easy answer is to Roger Mitchell because he's the guy who I think both of us feel the strongest about starting. Um, I wonder if he'll be a three down linebacker or if he'll be you know, a first and second down guy who gets subbed out on passing downs. I don't really know. I think that that's one of the main question marks that I'll have going into the season is exactly how they use these inside guys. Um, but but I think it'd be Taraja Mitchell, both on who plays the most and who gets the most tackles because he's in the right spot to make a lot of tackles at will. Um, that's that, that, that is, that is a playmaking spot on Ohio state's defense. Um, and, and also, you know, he's a guy who I feel confident about when it comes to, when it comes to health and, and playing a, a bunch of snaps. That's my answer too. So hopefully, hopefully we'll disagree on something later yeah, in the show so we can have something. more of a debate because uh, that that's not going to be much of a debate there, I guess, at least for us too. But, but you know, you mentioned, you know, going into the season, like, this is gonna like this is gonna be right up there with like quarterback and running back for me as like a position I'm gonna be really fascinated to watch these first two games because again you're getting thrown into the fire. I mean the first game of the year, Ohio State's gonna be going up against who might be the best running back in the Big Ten and Mohamed Ibrahim, and then you're gonna go into your second game going against Oregon, who's always got great athletes on the field. So these linebackers are gonna be put to the test immediately and. You know, because of what you mentioned before, if like it's good to have options here, like my feeling is the linebacker depth chart slash rotation at the start of a year might not look the same as what it looks like in November. I think guys could potentially, you know, guys could underperform earlier in the year or guys could emerge as the season goes along. And I think there could be changes in what that linebacker depth chart and rotation looks like as the year goes along. But, you know, much like we've talked about, you know, for quarterbacks and the running backs, it's not like you can go into these first couple games and test things out. I mean, you'll be able to do that against Akron and Tulsa, but these first couple games, you've got to be solid at, at linebacker. And, you know, maybe that's part of where this comes in. I mean, you're going against a big, you got a big PAC 12 game in week two. You've got a guy who's played in a PAC 12, you know, to bring in a guy who's got some experience that can help you, especially early in the season when you really don't know what you have with these other guys. Uh, I, I think it's going to be fascinating. I think, I think, you know, how those linebackers do in those first couple games uh, could go a long way toward determining whether, you know, Ohio state takes care of business in those games the way it should, or if uh, it, it potentially gets into a dangerous situation in either one of those games. You know what I'll also say about uh, Al Washington it's not just specifically this year, but I think his ability to retain linebackers, and not have guys transfer and to have guys commit to Ohio State knowing that they're they might sit and wait for a while has been really impressive. Um, and like I think that that's a skill that is going to become more and more important as the transfer portal becomes more and more employed. And hey, maybe maybe he's just gotten lucky a couple of times with a couple of guys who decide they wanted to stick it out. I don't know. The sample size is obviously really small, but the early returns on that are are, are really positive. I mean, like a case could be made for a guy like Cody Simon to be like, why are you recruiting or why are you bringing in EA when I'm in my second year here? I'm a top 100 guy I was the a top five inside linebacker in my class um, I've cl- if you've looked at the photos of him he's clearly worked really really well in the weight room why why are you doing this and 
that just hasn't been the case at Ohio State thus far. And if you look at the way that they're that they're recruiting right now in the 2022 class, it doesn't seem like it's the case down the line as well. So I think that that just you know that speaks to the health of the of the of the position group. And I think that that's something that Brian Hartline has done pretty well. And obviously he's had his transfers, but but I think that Al Washington has, has done that done that really really well recently. Yeah, I mean, really, I would say that about the entire coach staff. I would give the entire coaching staff credit for how well Ohio State has done so far at avoiding substantial attrition with transfers. Because, I mean, even this year, like, I mean, we've seen a couple. We've seen, you know, Jameson Williams and, you know, Tyreek Johnson and, you know, Mookie Cooper. But I thought there would be more transfers out by now. I really did because, you know, you, you've got this opportunity now for guys to go transfer elsewhere and play. And, you know, there, there's guys I look at at this roster and I, and I, and, you know, again, I'm, I'm not going to name guys because I, I I don't think it's fair, but you know, there, there are guys that I look at in my head and I go, should this guy still be here? Like, should, should you know, like this guy could go somewhere else and he could probably start right now, but he's probably not going to play that much at Ohio state. And so I think the fact that Ohio state has been able to keep these guys in the fold, I, I give, you know, Ryan day and this entire staff, a lot of credit for the fact that, you know, they have for the most part avoided substantial transfer attrition at, at a time when I think that could be a very different story. Yeah. I obviously, I mean, I'm looking at guys like Dallas Canton, Taraj Mitchell and saying they're in their fourth year. They easily should have been playing more, more by now. And and obviously I imagine if you ask them, like <laughs> they would say they a hundred percent anticipated that they would, and they would have had more opportunities, but uh, like a guy like Dallas can, I wonder how he, how he views bringing in EA when he's looking at a position where if he wasn't brought in, I think both you and I would be sitting here on this podcast today saying that we would project Dallas can as a starter at middle linebacker. Yep. Now it's, it's just a little bit uncertain about what his role is. Um, but you know, I guess that's what life is like for, for college football teams in 2021, where if you've got a guy like EA available, you might as well go out and go out and see if he's interested. We're a little over 20 minutes into this podcast and we haven't talked about JT to yet. So I feel like that's got to change because. Uh, Can I lead this Dan? Cause I, I go for it. I just want to ask you one question and it's the one question that everybody wants to know. What the hell was the airport like? Because you were there and everybody's following from the outside who's a, who's a big Ohio state recruiting fan. If you weren't following, like congratulations to you for not watching videos and live streams of 40 adult men meeting an 18 year old high schooler (laughs) who are trying to convince him to go to their college, which is like, if we're going to boil it down, like that's what happened. Um, It was an absurd recruiting scene. And to be honest, like we don't usually see a lot of those at Ohio state. Uh, You were one of the media folks who were there I just want that. I don't really care yet. We can get into what JTT would mean and whatnot. I just want the airport scene, like set the scene. What did you walk into? What did it develop into? Like, just, just take us through this. Yeah. I figured this was why you wanted to jump in here, yeah. but yeah, I mean, it, it was weird. I mean, I, I won't lie. It was weird. I mean, it was definitely uh, one of the weirder things I've done on this beat. Not the weirdest, definitely not the weirdest, but it was, it was, it was definitely strange. It was absolutely the first time. I've gone to the airport to watch a recruit arrive for an official visit. And I hope that this will not become a regular trend. I mean, you know, truthfully, I I would not have gone if I hadn't heard that multiple other media outlets were going to be there. And so, you know, I, I I certainly, I certainly did not want to be the guy to create a precedent 
of showing up at the airport to take pictures of official visitors walking off a plane. But I also knew, and our website metrics confirmed this, that you all were going to look at those photos, that that was going to be one of the most read pieces of the week was going to be a photo gallery of JT Tuamoloau arriving in Columbus. And it, and it was, so that's why I was there. But, you know, it, it was definitely, uh, it definitely felt odd to be there, uh, to, to again, be watching a, a 18 year old. I think he's 18 at this point, uh, you know, walking off a plane and, you know, getting his bags and <laughs> taking pictures of it. Uh, you know, it was definitely a different thing, but, but I, but I will, but I will say this, you know, it, it, it was interesting to kind of get a lens into a, a player arriving for his official visit that we don't usually get because these things, you know, they typically all happen behind the scenes, behind closed doors. We don't typically see these things play out. And just to see, you know, all the coaches there, you know, uh, you know, with their, their lays and their Tommy Bahama shirts there to, uh, welcome him off the plane and then to see, you know, all of them greeting them. And, you know, a lot of them were saying, you know, you're, you're finally here because this is a moment they've been waiting for, for well over a year now, thanks to the dead period. And, uh, you know, for it to finally happen, I mean, you could see the genuine excitement from Ohio state's coaches to finally have him in Columbus, to finally be able to show him, uh, Columbus and, and, and Ohio state. So it was an, an interesting lens into it you know i will say at the same time i i felt like i had suddenly become a paparazzi working for tmz as i was standing there taking photos of a guy walking through the airport what was the what was the weirdest thing that happened weirdest thing that happened i don't, I don't know if there's necessarily like one like here here I'll, I'll change this what what were the ohio state coaches like like just standing there because they because they arrived early and they were just sort of congregating what was it like just <laughs> seeing them wait for a prospect to get off the plane? So yeah, it was a lot of just kind of standing. Like you could see like Larry Johnson, like he just looked like he was ready to go. Like he was like pacing or <laughs> pacing around and like he was moving up ever closer as got, people started to walk out. Like you could see like he, he was fired up. He, he, he was ready to go. Um, you know, and it was, it was interesting. Like, you know, I, I think I got there about like, cause, cause he actually, the plane ended up arriving a little later than originally expected, but you know, I was, I was there at like four thirty or something and it, he was originally supposed to come at like five. So like I got there before most of the coaches were there and you know, like Larry Johnson was the first one I saw walk in and then it's like, Oh, here's Kerry Combs. Here's Parker Fleming. Here's Matt Barnes. Here's Al Washington. Oh, here's Ryan day. Like you just keep seeing more and more coaches coming in uh, to the airport and you realize like, yeah, this is a big deal. Like this is one that they've been, uh, eagerly awaiting, they wanted to have their entire welcome party there. I mean, they even had three of their lower level assistants or even there wearing w- w- one scarlet, one white, and one black jersey of the number 33, which is his uh, high school number there. And that, that seemed to be based on the comments. That seemed to be the one thing that fans really were not on board with. Like, they thought that they thought that was like a bridge bridge too far. Like, you know, all of it was a little bit crazy. Like that was a little bridge too far. And honestly, I, I didn't even realize after the fact that, Oh, 
33 is Jack Sawyer's number. So they're wearing what are supposed to be JT Tuomolowau jerseys while they already have a five-star defensive end on campus wearing that number. So, you know, I mean, but the thing, I guess the thing that I would say is obviously I don't think they have this kind of welcome party showing up at the airport for every official visitor. I've also never done this before for an official visit. So I, I don't know exactly what it looks like for an official visitor when they arrive at Ohio state. Typically, I do think this was certainly more than, than usual. And I got that vibe, even just from observing the coaches that like, they don't typically do this for an official visitor arriving at the airport. But I also don't know exactly what that looks like for a typical uh, recruit because again, I haven't been there before. And I, and I hope that this doesn't become a regular thing. It won't unless we get more five stars dragging their recruitments into, into June. But on the topic of his recruitment, it's, you know, he, he, he took his official visit to Ohio State this past weekend. Next up's Oregon, and then it's Alabama. And then at some point, we don't know how, we don't know exactly when, he will make a decision, show up on campus and, and do the thing and be ready to play this fall wherever he ends up whether it be Ohio State, Alabama, or anybody, anybody else. Um, how, how confident do you feel right now in Ohio State's chances? Um, and do you think that what we've heard or what we've ascertained or, or anything from this weekend has is, is, is changed your opinion on that? Well, I was thinking about it. You should, you should love this because we, we don't know where he's going to go. And you were saying last week you don't want us to know where recruits are going to go. So this is, this is right in your wheelhouse. It's fun. It is fun. It is Listen. fun. No, you're right. Yeah. You're right. It is fun. It's also stressful because, like, it's <laughs> hard to, like – fans. Yeah, and, and it's stressful for us too because it's like, you know, we just don't know. And, like, that's the truth. Like, I really don't know. Like, like it, it, it is fun, but it's like – I really don't. I wish I, I wish I felt confident – one way or the other, because I don't, I don't want to sit here and hedge, but it's like this one, it's just, it's, you know, he doesn't talk a lot. And, you know, I, I think here's kind of where I sit at it as we, again, we're speaking here on Monday right now, by the time this publishes, he's going to be almost done with his official visit to Oregon. But I think the way I feel it coming out of the weekend is I think Ohio State's in a pretty good spot. It sounds like he enjoyed what he saw at Ohio State. It sounds like, you know, the presentations that they made uh, resonated with him. You know, I think Ohio State's always been viewed as a potential leader in this recruitment. And I don't get the vibe that, you know, I know there was some talk out there, but he was turned off by the whole airport thing. But I don't get the vibe that, you know, this weekend hurt Ohio State in any way. I think it probably helped Ohio state. But I also know this, if you give Nick Saban a chance to close the deal, there's a definite chance he's going to close the deal. So and right now, like gun to my head, who am I going to pick? I'm going to say he commits to Ohio state. I'm going to say he, he, he comes to Ohio state, but I, I also do not underestimate the power of Nick Saban that Alabama could potentially turn this thing in their favor this weekend. And I think that, you know, I, I have a similar take, which is that like, I'm sort of unchanged because it, by all accounts, went exactly what I imagined, which is everybody who meets Larry Johnson and gets the full Larry Johnson, you know, visit is comes away really impressed. And you've seen that from the guys who have, 
you know, been on campus and worked out with him and, and you've seen at camps, like how P, how he resonates with some of the guys that Ohio State's really targeting. Um, so I fully anticipated that that would be the case. And Ohio State rolling out the red carpet per se for, for JT Tulamolau, like I imagined that they would come off very well. And at the same time, like you said, got two more visits. After every single visit thus far, he's gone to 247 Sports, Brandon Huffman, and said very positive things about it. So to read into those kind of quotes too much, I don't think you can. Um, you know, obviously one of the interesting things was that, you know, he talked to Chris Holtman um, from, from the basketball team, and they said, you know, you would, there, there would be a spot on the, on the bench for you. Probably didn't put it that way. <laughs> probably led him to believe that there would be a chance that he might actually be able to get into a game. I'll put it that way because I don't imagine JTT will be a big part of the basketball Buckeyes. Um, but I think that that, you know, that's the kind of presentation that Ohio state uses to try and level the field because every other team um, has offered them scholarships. I mean, you've seen, I think it was back in March that Washington and Oregon in succession, both offered him basketball scholarships Alabama has a football player named Kool-Aid on their basketball team already. So you can't tell me that they won't offer JTT a spot on Nate, Nate Oates' bench as well. Um, to me, Ohio State did what it could. And now it's just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And we'll find out in the not too distant future. But to, to me, they did everything that they could this past weekend. You know Chris Holtman a lot better than I do. How do you think he feels about basically having to give a roster spot to a guy because he's such a good football player that that's what he might have to do to help the Ohio state football team land his commitment. I don't think that there is a single basketball coach in America who would like love that. (laughs) I don't, I, I just don't think that that's the case. That said, everything that Chris Holtman has ever said about football, he comes off as a complete realist. Like he knows the deal. He's not at Ohio State thinking that this is this should be a basketball powerhouse and football should be secondary. He knows that football is king here in Columbus. He knows that. Um, so I think if we're going to talk about landing who would be the best defensive prospect in modern-day recruiting for Ohio State, yeah, it doesn't really surprise me that Chris Holtman would be open to doing that. I also don't know what the presentation was about, but I don't imagine that in the back of Chris Holtman's mind, he's thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to rely on JTT for 12 and eight when he's a senior. Um, I imagine that he's open to having him participate. He ain't going to have JTT when he's a senior. JTT is going to be in the NFL by the time he's a senior. Yes. But, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I think he's a realist and and he knows the deal and, you know, they offered a, um, they offered a basketball, a dual sport basketball scholarship, football scholarship to the number one prospect in 2023 as well. So I don't think that this is going to be a common road that Ohio State goes down. But if you are secondary at a football school, then there is part of you that I don't know if it's feeling obligated to do that. But, you know, if asked, you if, if asked, you might you might be more likely to say yes than if you're Duke and David Cutcliffe wants you to grab someone for his football team. Yeah, I think if you're if you're John Calipari and uh, Mark Stoops or Vince Marrow comes up to you and asks, you know, if you can make a spot for a football recruit, you could probably say no. If you're Chris Holtman at Ohio State, you can't say no. You can't say that. because 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 here's the deal: if Chris Holtman actually helps Ohio State land JT to Amolowal, that'll make him more popular with Ohio State fans than landed Malachi Branham. Well, I mean that's 
I mean, that's the thing. I mean, if Chris Holtman can actively do something to help the football team, that might change some fans' minds about him who have negative opinions about him. So, uh, you know, it, it, absolutely, it, it's what you have to do. I mean, to me, if I was in Chris Holtman's shoes, I probably wouldn't love that I have to do it. But I, I think I also understand, you know, why he has to do it. Um, you know, and I think all the things you talked about, it, it just goes to show you how coveted this guy is because, you know, Ohio State, I think Ohio State prides itself on, you know, recruiting guys with substance and on not not going over the top and recruiting these guys. But you, you can't you can't send your entire coaching staff to the airport wearing Polynesian themed shirts and then say you're not you're not you know, you're not, you're not going above, above and beyond here in this recruiting effort. So, you know, I'll say this. I think JTT is a guy wherever he goes to school, you know, the expectations are going to be enormous because you have schools that are basically making promises to him. I mean, again, I don't know exactly what Ohio state's promising him, but I guarantee you they're promising some, him some stuff. I mean, I, uh, I, I, very confident they are telling him, hey, you come here, you're going to play. Not that he shouldn't play, but I'm sure they're telling him, you know, you're going to be on the field as a freshman. We are going to have a role for you because if you don't make those kind of promises to a guy like this, you're just not going to get him. And so I'm not saying they should or shouldn't. I'm just saying if you're going to do these things, if you're going to give him a spot on a basketball team and all that, well, he better be really good. Yeah, and like I, I do think that this is one of those rare cases where – like you never really see like the number one and whether you consider Ohio state number two or three, depending on where you put them in Clemson. But one of the two top two of the top three powers in the sport, basically going back and forth for a guy who basically what we're saying is in 2024, there might be a national championship game, 2023, 2024 between Ohio state and Alabama. And like Joey Bosa might be on Alabama or Ohio State, and it's just deciding which one of the, which of these teams gets Joey Bosa. Like that's what this is. Like we're talking about a guy who I think both of us and everybody else out there thinks is going to be a top ten pick in the NFL draft in the not too distant future. And it's which of these national title contenders are you going to play for? Which which team's going to get Chase Young? Which team's going to get Joey Bosa? Like that's what's happening here. And like you never want to say that. Like this guy is going to decide a national championship because he can't. We don't know what these rosters are going to look like. But if they end up playing Alabama, Ohio State down the line, I don't know how you can view that as uh, anything other than a, a massive key piece to, to whichever team wins him. And, and, you know, if they win the national title, who knows if he's the deciding factor or not. But I, I have a feeling that which, wherever he goes, we'll end up playing for, for the whole thing. Now, it's gone very much under the radar, in my opinion, because of JT2 Amolowal, but yeah, there's some buzz out there that Ohio State might be adding another defensive end to its 2021 recruiting class. And that's uh, Wilfredo Ibar, who's from uh, Cheshire Academy in Connecticut. And, you know, there, there's the rumor out there is, or I don't even know if it's a rumor, because I think the head coach has gone on the record and said, mm-hmm that he is going to reclassify into the class of 2021. He was originally a 2022 recruit and he made an official visit to Ohio state a couple weeks ago. As far as I know, he has not visited anywhere else since. And the, the feeling out there is that he's probably going to choose Ohio state. So there's a possible, there's a possibility here 
but Ohio State could still add two defensive ends to its roster for this upcoming season. I mean, you know, I'm not going to lie. I, I don't know a ton about Wilfredo Ibar because this just, you know, kind of came out here in the past week and there's been so much going on uh, between, you know, JT and uh, Nio Teote and camps and all that, but I haven't really had a, a, a lot of time to dig into uh, Ibar and what he could bring to Ohio State, but, you know, there's, there's a possibility here that, you know, Ohio State could add a couple defensive ends uh, to its roster. And I think, you know, first of all, you know, I'd say this, I, I don't, you know, I think for some people who hear that news and they think, oh, is that a sign they're not going to get uh, JT to a Molo And I really don't think it is because Ohio State's still got enough roster space to add both of these guys. And I think the other thing to look at here is, you know, JT, we talked about, I mean, JT, he's going to play wherever he goes this year. He is going to play as a freshman. He is that good, but even showing up on a campus in July, he is going to play this year. There's going to be a role for him. Wilfredo Ibar, he, if he comes in this year, I think he's going to redshirt. I mean, I, I don't think we're going to see him play much, but I think the advantage of this is if you can get him on campus a year early, get him working with Larry Johnson. Now you look ahead to next year. Zach Harrison's a guy who a lot of people have projected as a first round NFL draft pick. Tyler, Tyler Friday and Tyreek Smith are both seniors. They could return for another year if they choose to use their super senior year of eligibility, but they could not. Even Javante Jean Baptiste is a guy. He's a, fourth-year guy, redshirt junior, still has a couple more years of eligibility, but he could go to the NFL after this year. So you're looking at the possibility of some major turnover in that defensive end room after this year. And so the possibility to bring in another defensive end now, even if he's not necessarily going to play right now, there's a lot of upside to that, uh, getting him on campus a year early, getting him through a full year of practices and working with Larry Johnson that he otherwise wouldn't have. Well, I think that that's true. But I also like when, when you talked about that, you know, part of me thinks that the impetus is put on, you know, getting somebody in for like the 2022 season. I actually think if you look further down the line, like if you think about the 2021 class right now, the only defensive end in it is Jack Sawyer. Maybe JTT is in that class as well. If you add Wilfredo Ibar, that would be the third defensive end. Um, I would be blown away if Jack Sawyer and JTT, if he chooses Ohio State, are not three and duns. If you look at the class of 2020, those defensive ends are Jacoby Cowan and Darion Henry Young. I think both of us would probably be surprised if both of them ended their careers at defensive end. You know, I think the anticipation has been maybe one of those guys moves in and plays defensive tackle at some point with Jacoby Cowan probably being the most likely guy. If you look at the class of 2019, like Noah Potter has already moved to defensive tackle. Um, Obviously, Zach Harrison will be gone. Like Cormonte Hamilton is around, but he hasn't, you know, made much of an impact thus far. Like, I think if you look down the line, like whether it be 2024, like that's when a guy like a Wilfredo Ibar could help you. And if you're going to bring in somebody like that, like, yes, you have that sort of immediate deep depth, but also down the line, um, I think that that probably helps with, with how the position um, needs to be restocked over the, the, the next recruiting cycle or two. Yeah. I mean, we, we've talked about it before. 
I mean, right now, one of the biggest needs for that 2022 class is they need to add some defensive linemen because right now they don't have any. So, you know, Ibar, it's different in a sense where, you know, Tuomolo is a guy they've always been targeting as that last piece of a 2021 class. With Ibar, if they get him, it's really more like just bringing in a member of a 22 class a year early because he's a guy they've been recruiting for, for 2022. He's a guy they would take for 2022, even if he wasn't going to reclassify, it's more just, you know, if, if he, if he wants to come now, they have enough roster space. So they'll certainly take him now and they'll certainly start his development now. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense if if you have open scholarships as well, like it, and no, it wouldn't be possible every single year, but this is one of those instances where, where it does, you know, it does make a difference. And quite honestly, like this is a common practice in basketball, I'm always a little bit surprised that it doesn't happen more often in football considering, and, and maybe it will because transfers will happen more frequently and there will be potentially more unexpected roster openings. Um, but you know, this is, this is just one of those instances where I think it, I think it does make sense. I never assume it's going to happen um, because it rarely does happen in football, but, but I, I think Ibar is an interesting guy too, because like you said, like I don't know a ton about him, but like at one point he was a top five overall recruit in his recruiting class. Like he has some special talent. Um, obviously, he's not that right now. He's closer to two hundred, the number one. Um, but but he's a guy who, who who's really talented and also, you know, academically sound because Stanford and all those other schools are in the midst for him as well, which isn't ever a bad thing. Well, yeah, and if he was supposed to graduate and. 2022 when he's graduating in 2021 and that would also suggest that he's academically sound mm-hmm. yep no i'm right there i'm right there with you we were asked by seattle linga he asked can you describe what a highly sought after recruit does on their weekend visit from start to finish during the off season i know the head coach and position coach meet with them but what else do they do other than seeing the woodies and the facilities and i mean i'll go into it saying first of all like i'd be lying if i told you i could tell you exactly how an official visit goes because i've never been on an official visit uh you know and you know again yeah i mean unfortunately i was not a five-star recruit out of high school so i did not uh get uh all the perks that come with an official visit but you know i, I mean it's certainly i think you know you look at these uh visits that they are doing all month i mean they're trying to pull out all the stops. I mean, they're, you know, we, we've seen it on, you know, Instagram and Twitter. You'll see the guys, they're taking pictures of these, you know, fancy meals they go out to. Like, I know like the first weekend, like I think a lot of the guys were uh, tweeting pictures from like Radizio Grill, which is a, a Brazilian steakhouse in uh, Columbus. So if, if you look at it, you know, they, they're taking them out to nice meals. Uh, they always take them on a store tour of the Ohio stadium. They take them on, a tour of a Woody, of course. I know they've been taking all the visitors to uh, the Griff, which is, uh, they're basically luxury apartments, which is actually where the football team lives now, or at least the younger football players actually live there now. So I know even unofficial visitors, they've been taking them on, on tours over there. You know, I think it can vary uh, based on weekend, based or time of year. Like I know I've seen in the past, like there's been times like they've taken players to like the Columbus Zoo or they've taken them to, other places uh, around Columbus. Uh, so they certainly uh, are trying to highlight uh, not just the campus, but also uh, the, the city that uh, they're living in. And then, uh, you know, they also 
Uh, they do a lot of presentations about stuff. Like a big thing I know they've been doing this month is they've been doing uh, presentations about uh, name, image, and likeness. Uh, that's been a big part of what they've been doing uh, this month as you know, they prepare for that to start next month. They've been telling guys about what they have to offer in that regard. And you know, they'll do presentations about academics. You know, Whatever a guy's uh, major is, they will uh, get them in touch with people who can talk to them uh, about academics. Uh, of course, you know, parents are there. They're going to spend a lot of time talking to the parents about this stuff too. And they're going to, uh, you know, they're going to take the parents out to nice dinners and all kinds of stuff like that. So, you know, it's all about trying to show the guy while he's on campus, not, not just what they're going to offer him from a football perspective, but also what they can offer to him, uh, off the field and all the different, you know, things the campus can offer, the university community can offer, and all that. So they're definitely uh, treating these guys well, uh, feeding these guys well, and they're trying to uh, pack as much as they can in to that weekend. You know, I think, you know, there was another comment in the questions, Fred, kind of about, you know, how much of it's uh, scheduled out versus how much of it is just kind of do whatever they want. And I think on these official visits, they tend to be pretty rigidly scheduled. Like they tend, they, they tend to try to pack a lot into those 48 hours where, uh, they're able to have these players on campus. So there certainly is some downtime, some free time, but for the most part, they, they schedule a lot of it out for these guys and, and try to uh, do as many different things for them as they can. Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's exceptionally regimented and basically the, the time alone is exactly what you'd expect the time alone to be, which is you're with the host, um, Haskell Garrett in this case, and you know, you spend the hours at night with them but that's pretty much it and everything else, you know, you're, you are, you're on the visit. You are, you are getting the tour from all of the tour guides. And when you're JTT got about 30 tour guides in the Woody. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and it's probably not a coincidence that the JT to Amolowa weekend, they only had five official visitors where the other weekends they've had like double digits each weekend. Cause I think they wanted to be able to give, uh, JTT some extra attention uh, while also, of course, giving attention to the other official visitors that were on campus this past weekend, which were CJ Hicks, Dallin Hayden, Kojo Antwi, and Jake Pope. It's not like CJ Hicks needed uh, needed any recruiting either. He was he was one of those twenty five tour guides. Oh yeah, for for sure. But I think they also wanted to show him how much they appreciate him because. Uh, I think there's no doubt that he's the guy who's been viewed as the top peer recruiter in this class. So uh, I think he was absolutely uh, pushing for guys to commit. Uh, I know that there's been some more uh, tweets over the weekend where he's been hitting at more commitments. And uh, honestly, I think there's a good chance that by the time uh, this publishes between when we're recording and now that there could be another commitment. So uh, we'll see if that happens, but uh, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to say that something's going to have to happen and then have it not happen and then have to re-record this. But uh, I think uh, certainly here in the next few weeks, I think we expect that we're going to see uh, quite a few commitments, uh, not only at Ohio State, but all over the country as, you know, these visits wrap up next weekend. uh, Then I think a lot of these guys, especially in the 2022 class, are probably going to go into decision mode and are probably going to make decisions here pretty soon. We have any other questions we want to get to? Yeah, just one more question uh, from Silver Sniper, who's always got a question for us. He said, "Call your shot. 
who has the better freshman year, Emeka Buka or Marvin Harrison Jr.? You know, I think that's a I think that that's a great question because it would have been so easy to answer six months ago, and it's so not easy to answer right now. Um, I mean, the way that people talk about Marvin Harrison Jr., it's like no doubt about it. He's going to be really, really good at Ohio State. I can't not go with Emeka Ibuka, though, at least at least for year one. Just because if I look at the way that the way that the, the the that I think the lineup will be situated, I just think that there will probably be a little bit more opportunity in the slot than if you're than if you're at a position that is the same as Garrett Wilson in his junior year. As as much as as good as I think Marvin Harrison Jr. will be, I think Garrett Wilson is going to be significantly better this year and is going to get the vast majority of snaps at that position. Um, it won't be a 50-50 split. I think it could be closer to a 50-50 split with Abuka and, and Jetson Smith and Jigba, even if I don't think it will be a total 50-50 split. So as as impressive as I think Marvin Harrison Jr. was in the spring, I've got to go with Abuka, who, you know. I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna feel too bad if I'm wrong about going with the number one overall wide receiver recruit in, in his class. I thought this was where we would be able to debate because I am gonna go with Marvin Harrison Jr. I've been on Marvin. I've been on the Marvin Harrison Jr. train uh, basically uh, since spring, even before spring, as I just got the vibe that you know everybody you talk to about Marvin Harrison Jr., whether it's his high school coaches, whether it's anybody at Ohio State, and they just say nothing but great things about the guy. I and mean, they just, they just rave about, you know, how advanced he is for his age and uh, you know, how hard he works. And so I'm going to go with Marvin Harris Jr. I mean, I, I think this absolutely could go either way, but this is my feeling. I mean, obviously I think Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are going to be the two top dogs in that room this year. I think Jackson Smith and Jigba will be the number three receiver. I think he'll be the third most productive receiver on the team this year. But I'm going to go with Marvin Harrison Jr. Number four. I think I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to outproduce Julian Fleming. Is going to outproduce Emeka Buka this year. It, that could that could easily end up in any order. All of them have tons of potential to be breakout stars, and I wouldn't be surprised if any one of them is. But if I'm just had to rank them in terms of how much production I think they're going to have this year, outside of a starting three, I'm going to go with Marvin Harrison Jr. at number four. What what percentage of like actual meaningful snaps do you think that Marvin Harrison Jr. plays? Because I think that if we're going to talk about like production, I think that the backups are going to be pr- more productive this year than last year solely because there were just no blowouts last year. And if you look at the schedule this year, like congratulations, the Mac is back on the schedule. There are going to be a couple more blowouts this year than there were last year. So I do think that the backups, you know, in general, the the percentage of their snaps will be higher this year than last year. But if we're thinking about just like games that matter and like the meaningful moments of them, what percentage of, of snaps do you think Marvin Harrison Jr. is on the field? Yeah, I think I'd probably go with like somewhere like 25 or 30%. Because I, I I don't think, you know, I don't think Ohio State's going to abandon the rotation here. I think they like the rotation as good as Olave and Wilson are. You know, I think when you have guys that are this talented behind them, you know, I, I do think they're going to, you know, be in the mix. But I also think at the same time, like Olave and Wilson, they have to be on the field for a clear majority of snaps. They're just they're just too good not to be on the field for a clear majority of, of snaps. So, you know, I, I said I'm somewhere between, you know, one in every three series or one in every four series. I, I think Marvin Harrison's going to be out there. And, you know, I, I think what I'm interested to see is just 
how they divide up those snaps. Cause I think we know Olave and Wilson are going to be out there. Most of the time they're going to start. I think we're fairly certain Jack Smith and Jigba is also going to be a starter this year, but I'm interested to see how do they divide those snaps between them? You know, do any of those three move to other spots depending on who else is in the lineup? Uh, and then, you know, the three guys behind them, will they all see fairly equal snaps or will one of those guys, you know, could Marvin Harrison be the top backup at both outside spots? Could Julian Fleming be that guy? Could Emeka Buka play both in the slot and outside? I'm interested to see how that plays out. Cause I think we have seen, especially last year, that I think Brian Hartline is willing to move guys around just to get the best guys on the field. And so you know, I'm inclined to believe all six of those guys are going to have a role and it could be just, you know, one's a backup X, one's a backup Z, one's the backup slot. But I think, you know, if Harrison or Igbuka or Fleming was to, you know, clearly emerge as the fourth best receiver, then I think they'd find ways to get them the most snaps among the backups. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't think that we've really seen mid-season position moves at wide receiver like I think during the season it's all been pretty static for Brian Hartline um, and a lot of it has just sort of been dictated by how good is the guy in front of him and is it going to be a 50-50 split or are we going to lean one way or another and you know I think I think largely I think that that's what it'll be and also because like if you look at it like it just sort of makes sense the depth chart right now um, where you have Garrett Wilson at X and behind him, Marvin Harrison Jr. is sort of a prototypical X in their, in their offense. And the same thing with Olave and Julian Fleming at Z. I would say both Jetson Smith and Jigba and Emeka Buka, I think, I personally think they'll both end their careers outside because, you know, they're guys who want to have the ability to play both inside and outside. And I think that they can. But for right now, it seems like they're sort of dead set on, on playing them in the slot, which I think is going to be perfectly fine for them. So I think the depth chart to me, just sort of makes sense the way it's laid out right now. Yeah, I agree. I mean, my, my point was more in the fact that like Jackson Smith and Jigba played both outside and inside last year. So in terms of like being dead set in one position, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, I think he's willing to, you know, or, you know, again, injuries could factor in here too. But like, you know, I think, you know, if everybody's healthy, like, you know, if he felt like he had five guys, he, he might be willing to play a guy at two spots rather, rather than just one. I, I agree with you though. I think, Right now, the depth chart makes sense where I think you've got a clear-cut top six, and I think it makes sense to just have two guys at every position. You can also just move the starters around, too. Like, it's nice right. to have Jetson Smith and Jigba and Garrett Wilson basically able to play each other's positions. Yep. And I don't know how much we'll actually see that during the season. I think that's one of those things that we talk about it because it sounds cool, and I don't know how much it'll actually be done. But I do think that that's, that's useful and can you know make defenses think twice. Well, thanks again for listening in to this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. I will be on vacation next week, so uh, we will be off next week. This will be uh, the last episode of June, but uh, I'm sure that when we come back in two weeks, there's going to be plenty to talk about between uh, all that's happening on, on the recruiting trail and, and who knows what else. I am confident there will be no shortage of topics for us to cover. Uh, for our first episode of Real Pod Wednesdays of July. So uh, thanks for listening in. I hope you all enjoy the rest of June. Enjoy your uh, 4th of July. And we'll talk to you again in a couple weeks.